The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perrow columnist for StockEd. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're going to have a look at something other than WA Gold today, a subject that is naturally enough dominating thinking in the junior mining space thanks to record gold prices. But look elsewhere across the mining space and the other tower of strength has been the iron ore price, which thanks to China's V-shaped recovery from COVID and production issues in Brazil has been as strong as the industry could hope for at about US $110 a tonne. There are not many exposures to the iron ore thematic in the junior space. You can count them on one hand, essentially. But we've got one today in Strike Resources with the company's managing director, William Johnson, joining us today. Strike trades under the code SRK or Sierra Romeo Kilo. It was last quoted at 5.8 cents for a market cap of about 12 million. Strike is advancing its Paulson's East Iron Ore project in Pilbara, which has lots of promise as a low capex and quick to start project capable of throwing off lots of cash relative to Strike's modest market cap. The company also has large scale opportunities in iron ore in Peru, lithium brines in Argentina and graphite in Queensland. Now with that, I'm going to say good day to William and welcome him to the show. Hi William and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry, and uh, thanks for having me. Great. Uh, William, can we start out by getting a bit of a rundown on your educational, professional background and where you hail from? Sure, Barry. Look, um, I'm um, from England. I studied engineering at Oxford University there, and um, after university, my uh, first job was in the oil and gas exploration industry. Uh, this is back in the um, in the late 80s, um, and then... Um, moved to New Zealand and then Australia. And in uh, 2005, um, we established Strike here in Perth as a, uh, as a resource company. And uh, we've been sort of like been involved with that ever since. Right. Okay. I think it's the first time we've had an Oxford grad on the show. So there you go. Now, I mentioned earlier the company has a a deep portfolio of projects across uh, iron ore, lithium and graphite. But um, Paulson's East is the one that's uh, shaping up as the near-term development opportunity and there was a, uh, a recently uh, released revised scoping study. So that might be a good, if you could just run through some of the key findings of that and that will give uh, us all a feel of uh, the the project. Sure, Barry. Well, look, the, um, the Paulson's East project is located in the Pilbara, um, about eight kilometres away from the... Uh, Paulson's gold mine. It's, it presents as a uh, pretty unusual and quite unique outcropping ridge of um, very high-grade hematite ore. It extends about three kilometres long and in places uh, outcrops um, 60 metres above the surrounding area. Um, the, um, uh, in particular, the, the iron ore is very high-grade. Um, we um, at all the surface samples that we've We've collected um, sort of range from 64 to 66% FE. We've established a Jork 
indicated resource of close to 10 million tonnes um, at an average grade of 61% FE. And um, again, one of the things that makes this project particularly attractive is the iron ore, uh, as it presents, is very hard and dense. So um, when we, we crush it, um, most of it is going to uh, crush to a lump product, which typically attracts a, a premium price in the market. So, so we're envisaging being able to, uh, to sell most of our product um, as a, a 61% or higher grade lump. Uh, which in this market will attract a significant premium over the current benchmark price. Mm. Okay. Um, so the scale of uh, potential production uh, annual, uh, 1.5, was it? Yeah, we're looking at um, 1.5 million tonnes uh, per year for the first four years of the mine life. That should let us, um, I guess, produce the, the first 6 million tonnes out of our resource. and. Mm -hmm. If the iron ore prices remain strong, we'll um, we'll keep going and try and get as much of the the um, nine point six million ton resource as we can. We've also identified a potential extension to the resource that we haven't drilled yet, but has the potential to expand the resource by about another fifty percent. So again, if um, if the iron ore prices remain strong uh, four or five years from now, we have the potential mm. to uh, to extend the mine life again by that's another three or four years. Okay. Uh, one of the hurdles obviously facing juniors getting into iron ore production is the uh, infrastructure solutions. What's the infrastructure solution for this project? Look, we're quite fortunate in that the mine is located only 18 kilometres from a sealed road and that sealed road um, takes us all the way through to the uh, to Port Hedland where there's a, a multi-user port, the Utah, Utah Point multi-user port facility where there's established a stockpile and shiploading facilities. So, I mean, it's fantastic for us in that um, we just have to truck the ore to the port. We can offload it at existing stockpile facilities there and use the existing infrastructure to load ships. So there's no investment required from our side at the port in, uh, in shiploading facilities. Right. So the, what was the CapEx indicated in the revised scoping study? Look, the CapEx, we think, will be less than $10 million. We're right. approaching this because it's a relatively short mine life. We're uh, planning to use contract miners, contract uh, crushers, and a contract haulage company. So uh, that sort of keeps our, our CapEx low. The only sort of major CapEx items that we need to invest in are setting up a mining camp and mm -hmm. building a uh, haul road that connects the um, the camp to to the road. So all that we're looking at a, a capex of less than ten million dollars. Right. Uh, now it doesn't take a lot to uh, for a one point five million tonne per annum iron ore project to uh, throw off a lot of cash. Is there, is there any estimate in the scoping study on uh, what life of mine free cash flow might be? Yes. Look, um, based upon. Um, some fairly sort of conservative assumptions we've made regarding sort of iron ore prices. I mean, today the iron ore price is about, um, well, I think about 105 uh, US dollars per ton for mm. a 62% finance product. We've we've based our, our modelling on an average price of just 85 dollars uh, US for the benchmark price, but um, we believe you know on the, under that assumption we can generate about 150 million dollars uh, of um, net cash before tax. 
from this project over over four year mine life, and you know for initial capex of uh, ten million dollars, that's um, mm. that's a pretty good return. So the internal rate of return must be off the charts, is it? It is definitely yes. I think uh, we calculated it at about um, I think about five hundred percent, and uh, payback of the ten million dollar capex. You know we would expect to get back within three months of um, of starting production. Okay. Uh, now, as a, uh, a backstop, what would be the break-even cost? Look, we've um, over over the life of mine, we estimate the uh, break-even cost would be about sixty-seven US dollars per ton delivered to China. So, as long as the sort of the benchmark price uh, stays above sixty-five dollars per ton, uh, mm-hmm. we should be making money. Right. Okay. So, has the project being moved into the feasibility study stage now? Yeah, so as you mentioned at the beginning, Barry, we've um, completed a, a scoping study, revised scoping study, and we're now in the middle of um, our feasibility study. Um, and we're sort of working on getting that completed as quickly as we can. Um, and in parallel with that, we're sort of working on getting all of our uh, approvals and, um, and permits in place. Okay. Now, if all goes well, when could you be in production? Look, we were hoping to get a production before the end of this year, but uh, COVID-19 um, you know, affected us along with others, and so that's um, knocked us back a couple of months. We're hoping to be able to uh, get into production early next year. Right. And in terms of uh, product placement, uh, do you need an offtake, or how will you handle that side of the business? Uh, look, we do, and we've already started the process of uh, talking to potential offtake partners. Um, we don't uh, think there's going to be any problem identifying um, customers. In fact, we've already had discussions with a number of potential uh, offtake partners. We've been approached uh, by multiple parties because, particularly because the, uh, the products that we're looking to produce are very high grade, um, and particularly the, the being able to produce mostly a lump product. Uh, lump is, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's a premium product, usually attracts a, a premium price in the marketplace, and in particular because. Um, there's been some problems out of Brazil with their supply, and typically they they do supply you know high grade um, iron ore products into the marketplace. There mm. is a supply deficit at the moment of um, good quality high grade iron ore, so um, you know we um, we don't see any issues in us um, you know locking in um, uh, customers at a at a really good price. Mm. I imagine it'll be well sought after for its uh, blending uh, properties. Precisely, yes. Mm. Uh, because uh, I think it was in one of your uh, presentations on the ASX platform that the quality difference in terms of um, uh, things you don't want in your iron ore is quite extreme between, say, 58% iron ore and you know, 64% iron ore, um, you know, deleterious materials and uh, the pollution factors and all those sort of things. So, and is, that's why we get the uh, see the premium in 64% lump product, I guess. Look, there's a couple of factors to it. One is the, the grade. Obviously, every, every percentage point grade you go up, uh, that attracts a, a better price. And also, the lower level of impurities you have, um, uh, that reduces any discounts that, uh, that may apply. So the key here is to produce a product that has the highest grade possible with the lowest level of impurities. Mm. I guess the, the million-dollar question, given the the amount of cash that this project could throw off, 
market, the market cap of the company, $12 million, obviously a bit of a disconnect there. Why do you think that disconnect's there and how do you see it being resolved as we move ahead? Look, I think there's a couple of reasons to it. Um, I think, you know, to be honest, we haven't uh, done a great deal of marketing and promotion uh, up until now. We've, you know, we've been focusing on trying to move the project forward rather than trying to, to um, advertise it. I think that's... Um, that's part of it. Strike has a bit of a history. I mean, we've um, you know we've been around since two thousand and six. We um, when we sort of first listed the company, we were um, focused on our South American assets, uh, where we have a um, very large uh, suite of iron ore projects. And um, I think in two thousand and eight, uh, the last iron ore boom, you know, the share price came close to three dollars. We had a, no. a market cap of close to three hundred million dollars, and um, you know, on the back of these very attractive iron ore assets in, in South America. Um, then the GFC came and, um, you know, sort of, I guess it's, it was difficult for us to advance that for a number of reasons. And so over the last, um, I guess, uh, 10 years, um, you know, sort of the, the share price of the company has sort of fallen away. Um, and um, it's only recently when we've identified, I guess, the, the near-term cash flow that we can generate from the Paulson's project well, I guess we're starting to get some some active interest in the market again in the company. Um, okay. Um, now, just on uh, one last question on East Paulsons. Um, the uh, recently, the biggest of the existing iron ore producers in the Pilbara put the industry's interaction with traditional owners on the front page for all the wrong reasons. How would you characterise Strike's relationship with the traditional owners in relation to Paulsons East? And what is the progress on securing a native title agreement? Look, it was um, interesting timing in that we're, we're dealing with the same Putu Kuntu Kuruma and Pinakura, the PKKP group, um, that uh, were impacted uh, by Rio Tinto's um, issue uh, a few months ago. So, And unfortunately, I mean, we were right in the middle of the negotiations with the PKKP when this issue came to light. So um, it's... It required a bit of finessing from our side, but I think we've, you know, we've we we sort of made the decision to engage with the PKKP um, early on in the process. I think we've we've developed a very good relationship with them, and I think the fact that we managed to navigate through that difficult period um, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago when this Rio Tinto issue arose, uh, you know, we managed to to work our way through it with with the PKKP. We put in place some, I guess. Um, controls and procedures to make sure that um, what happened there won't happen with us. And I believe that they're comfortable enough uh, with us in terms of our intentions and how we are going to approach this project to um, to be happy to to proceed. And as um, you know, we recently announced, we've, um, we've you know, agreed now the terms of our mining agreement with the representatives of the PKKP group. Uh, in the middle of August now, there's a, a community meeting, uh, hopefully to approve that agreement. Um, and look, we're very hopeful that um, that will get approved and we can move the project forward. Great, great to hear. Uh, I guess we should uh, get a rundown on uh, Peru and Argentina and Queensland Graphite. Um, perhaps uh, the Peru one. Um, what's the project there? Let's. Is that essentially parked up at the moment, waiting for uh, 
for future potential sale or uh, will it come into its own if iron ore prices hold at these levels uh, for a few years yet? What's the situation okay. you think? The, the, the projects in Peru are, if you like, at the opposite end of the spectrum compared to Paulson's East, whereas Paulson's East is a low capex, you know, high, high cash flow, near term opportunity for strike. Um, the, the Peruvian projects require large amounts of capex because they require an infrastructure solution to be constructed uh, before they can come into production. But we are talking um, you know, potential production of 10, 15, 20 million tonnes a year from these projects. So they're big, large-scale projects, but they require a lot of capex. Um, the, um, what makes uh, the projects there particularly valuable is that um, they're large deposits of um, very high-grade magnetite material. And if we can get an infrastructure solution put in place, the, um, they could be sort of very low-cost um, uh, producing uh, projects. We, we, we took uh, the project there to a pre-feasibility stage in 2008 and um, the result of that study indicated that we could deliver a very high grade 68% magnetite concentrate uh, product to the coast and put on ships for less than $20 a tonne. So, um, you know, it's a very sort of, the project is, as I said before, very large. Um, but requires a lot of capex to get it going. Hmm. Okay. Sounds like one that will come into its own at some point. Uh, definitely. Yes. Hmm. And uh, Argentina, your uh, lithium brine project, uh, well located, I understand. Yes. Look, I mean, in about 2015, because um, the sort of iron ore prices had sort of fallen away considerably since the last boom, we were looking for uh, some diversification. For the company and the battery minerals sector is one that I'm particularly interested in. And uh, we spent quite a lot of time looking for, for lithium projects. And what's really attractive about the lithium brine projects in Argentina is that they're potentially sort of amongst the lowest on the cost curve producers for lithium carbonate. And we've managed to pick up a very attractive tenement package directly adjacent to the, um, the project held by ASX listed or a cobra, which is producing lithium carbonate out of Argentina, one of the world's lowest cost producers. And our tenant package sits right next to theirs, and we believe it sits over the same aquifer system that they're currently tapping into. Uh, so we just need to do some exploration there to, to confirm that. And if we can do so, then we have the potential to perhaps um, you know, develop a project of a similar scale um, and quality to theirs. So that's really exciting. Um, however, you know, COVID-19 has hit that country pretty badly, uh, actually, as it has in, in Peru as well. And so um, we're not really in a position to, to advance that project at the moment until conditions there improve. But again, we're really hopeful uh, that that project can provide some significant value for our shareholders in the medium to long term. Yeah. Another one that will come into its own at some point. The, I was just wondering, uh, there's been a bit of corporate activity in that part of the world. Are there any see-through valuations that can be applied to your Solaris uh, project on that basis? Well, I think the easiest one to do is just to look at um, Oracopra itself. Um, mm. I think uh, they've got a current market cap of about six or $700 million perhaps um, today. Um, and as I said, you know, our tenement package potentially um, has, um, you know, could allow us to replicate a similar sized operation to theirs. So um, I guess that's perhaps the closest 
sort of uh, mm. indicator. Yeah, it's funny the the commodity cycle. Um, what two three years ago the company's twelve million dollar market cap would have been justified alone on this uh, brine project, I guess. Exactly. Yes, you're mm-hmm. right. Um, and since then, I mean, lithium has gone out of favour, and iron ore has come back into favour. So, uh, mm. so I think, from our perspective, the um, you know the choice to to diversify a bit and get involved in the battery mineral space, I think, over the long term, will be a very good um, be seen as a very good decision for us. Mm. Uh, continuing the battery theme, we don't often hear of. Uh, Battery material projects, uh, well, specifically here we're talking about graphite uh, in Australia. Uh, tell us about this Queensland project you have. Yeah, so what attracted us to this one, Barry, is that um, it's a deposit of very high-grade uh, graphite, one of the highest-grade uh, deposits held by Australian uh, exploration companies. Um, and um, we've sort of done some work with the CSIRO over the last year or so um, in analysing graphite, and they've confirmed that it has great potential for use in lithium-ion batteries. And what a lot of people don't realise is that in a typical lithium-ion battery, there's usually about ten times more graphite than lithium. So, mm. you know, with the whole um, forecast explosion and demand for lithium batteries for electric vehicles, there's going to be a corresponding massive growth in demand for the materials for those batteries, including graphite. So. So we think our, our sort of graphite deposit in Queensland is, is very well suited, very well placed to potentially meet some of that uh, demand. Uh, and in particular, there's also other companies who are looking to establish uh, battery minerals or battery factories in, in that part of the country. So we think there's some great sort of opportunities that may open up over, that may open up over the next couple of years um, for that project as well. Mm, okay, well, well, thanks for that rundown on the company. Interesting mix there of those longer-term assets that will come into their own at some point, and obviously the near-term cash flow opportunity in uh, the Pilbara. So, thanks for your time today, and uh, best wishes going forward. Sorry, thanks for the